Just a reminder for our radio listeners that the end of the world is going to come next Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. and the Department of Health has requested homeowners to unplug all electrical appliances, turn off radios and TV sets, and disconnect gas stoves and furnaces. The post office recommends that you mail early in the day. And for those with automobiles, alternate side of the street parking will be suspended. That's the end of the world next Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. Mark it down. 1929. It'll get worse now because it'll go faster. Money markets will dry up. ATMs will stop spitting bills. Federal deposit insurance will collapse. Banks will close. Mobs panic. It's going to be the end of the world. See? Let him have it, Chris. 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 There's a button. You're listening to Aerial View worldwide on the internet. Auspicious beginning. Sure, it's a talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. Don't you think the law is stupid? How are you today? Nice to see you. Have a nice day. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started. What? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. 
think you're evil! EVIL! Hi, I was wondering if this was the same Chris T who does um, the radio show. Because um, if it is, I think your show is really great. Um, but if it isn't, Those clowns in Congress did it again. What a bunch of clowns. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. We kill you pretty soon. You are not sleepy or tired ever. I can't really sign off on that statement. I am often sleepy and tired. Oh, Lord. Lord, get me through this, Lord. Even though I don't believe in you, Lord. Lord. Oh, man, it's been so long since I've been in a church. Dang, I don't know what would happen. If I walked in there, I might burst into flames. I am fairly blasphemous. Wow. That sounds like a name from a Charles Dickens novel. Fairly blasphemous here to collect the rent. <laughs> Do you have the rent? No? Miss Pakalava? Well, then you must get out. <sighs> Yeah, so it, there's no use praying. Praying to the Lord. Stop me before I recite a Public Image Limited song. That's not going to happen. Not tonight. Not tonight! On Aerial View here on thehoundnyc.com, where every Sunday you could hear Hound Howls and then Crash in the Party, the doo-wop chop-chop of the air featuring Mark and Miriam. Miriam, of course, from Norton. Norton Records. Norton! So many things afoot. Where do I begin? On this January 27th in the year of our Lord. What? 2023? It's me, Chris T. And I still have Christmas on my mind. And I'll tell you why. Because... For about an hour and a half this afternoon, I was trying to fix this motherfucking Christmas tree stand that uh, we went out and bought, I went out and bought several years ago. So I got tired of wrestling with the motherfucking Christmas tree. So I bought this motherfucking Christmas tree stand because it's supposed to be the best motherfucking Christmas tree stand around. It's a Crinner Tree Genie. All you got to do, see, is put the Christmas tree in the middle of the clamps. You hit the foot pedal, and then you crank it, and you crank it, and you crank it until it's tight. And it's grabbing the trunk of the tree in its visor-like grip. Fuck you, tree. You're staying right where I put you. Fuck you. Not falling down this year. So I found this thing. I had to drive out the goddamn Parsippany or some fucking place. Because I bought it secondhand. See, the, the new ones were expensive. So I said, let me see. Let me see if this went out there on uh, Facebook Marketplace. Or as I like to call it, hell. And I found one, and it was in Parsippany. And I drove out there, and I got it. Price was still high. Fifty, sixty dollars, something like that. And I forget when I did it. Sweet Tea asked me before the show began. I was telling her about my uh, frustrations trying to fix this piece of shit, this motherfucking Christmas tree stand. And she said, "Well, how, how long have we had that?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't even know." The years they begin to run together, and then they run away over the hills, like like a Charles Bukowski poem. Poem. So there I am on the workbench. It's one of my favorite places to be. I get to go in the garage. 
I don't have uh, Marty and Roger as much as I love Marty and Roger. Marty, the two-year-old tuxedo cat who uh, terrorizes and engages in elder abuse of his 15-year-old brother, Roger, is having some health struggles as of late, but he's going to be fine. You'll see. Either that or no longer be here, and it'll be a lesson in impermanence. Either way, something is going to happen, and I'm going to have to live with it. Because that's what life is all about. Shit happens, you have to live with it. Because what's the alternative? You don't live with it. Literally. Now, tonight on the program, I'm welcoming back for the second week in a row. I don't remember ever doing this with any other guest But uh, we didn't get to a major portion of the conversation that I wanted to have last week. And so, in communications with this person, I said, hey, any chance you'd want to come back again on Friday? He was like, sure. Because uh, who would turn down an opportunity to talk about the 14th Amendment to the Constitution? So, ladies and gentlemen, we'll welcome back shortly... Ken Katkin, constitutional professor of law at the Samet P. Chase School of Law at Northern Kentucky University, also the head custodian and maintenance person at Trash Flow Radio, heard Saturdays 3 p.m. Eastern Time over WAIF-FM 88.3 in Cincinnati and online at WAIFradio.org. Ken will rejoin us in just a bit to uh, talk about the 14th Amendment. But I I have to tell you what eventually happened with the Krinner motherfucking genie Christmas stand. Because what what happened, I noticed, when we were cleaning up our Christmas tree a few weeks ago, taking everything down, pulling Christmas down, just, you know, this stuff's been up, now it's time to pull it down. Get it out of here. Put it away in the garage. Think about it. Contemplate it next year. Next year might be the year I say, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go somewhere for the holidays. Let's get out of here. Christmas in Wales. How about that? Let's travel. It's all going to be COVID dependent, of course, because, you know, the next variant is going to come along and it's going to be like the last of us, this one going to be uh, this this monster that crawls inside of you. And then, you know, at that point, I would probably just give up. Me, personally. You. You do you! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there I am. I'm out on the workbench, and I'm now I'm hammering this. I'm trying to get the case of this thing, because it's this big, ugly, sort of pentagonal-shaped tree stand. And the Germans, because it's from, it's from Germany... You know, not even Western Germany, but the reunified Germany. And, or it might even be made in China. I don't know. I don't know, honestly. I, I, all I know is I could not get the lid of this thing off of the base so I can access the area where the spring came off. Because that's all it is, is a spring came off. And now I can't put this thing back in the box. It, do, it no longer works. Let's put it that way. It's now a useless piece of shit. There's a lot of that going around, though. Just take a look at the GOP. Ooh, zing. Huh. Hey. So just to wrap this story up, because Ken's waiting in the wings patiently, listening to all this palaver. I had to break off the part of the case that covered the area where the fucking spring goes. The motherfucking spring, I should say, because this is a motherfucking Christmas tree stand. And once I did that, I was able to access it. But then I couldn't get anybody. I called the Krenner helpline. Yes, I called the Krenner helpline. I got the Krenner lady on the phone in Krennerville, USA. Because they have to have an, you know, a representative here in the United States. And uh, she couldn't help. Couldn't had no idea what I was talking about. Is there any way I could see the, how this thing goes together? Is there any diagram? Oh well, did you think about looking on YouTube? Maybe find a video. That's the first thing I did. Matter of fact, first thing I did. 
Oh. Huh. Gee, I, I don't know. So there I am. I get the hammer. I got the screwdriver. I'm banging this motherfucking piece of shit. Trying to get it open. And finally, like I said, I just, I just pried the case off. And then I put the spring on the way I thought the spring went on. And no matter what I do, I can't get this fucking thing to do what it's supposed to do. Namely, ratchet up these, these cables, these steel cables. Ratchet them up and ratchet them up so these claws, there's like eight of them, grab the trunk and just go, Come here, trunk. It's all over for you. I got you now. Except now, it's a useless piece of garbage. And I'm tired. I gave up 90 minutes of my life. Like, uh, there were many other things on the list I could have done, but I thought, let me, let me, let me, let me fix this thing before I put it away. And then that, that way, next year, if we do decide to have Christmas and put up a tree, I, I won't have to go out and get a stand. I will have fixed this one. Let me do that right now. So I, next year, well, maybe this is a sign. Maybe this is a sign. Hey, Ken, you got your ears on? Hey, I do, Chris. There you go. Ken Katkin. Just like that, a radio professional at this point. Well, uh, radio and podcast. He's conquered both realms, I would think, right? I, I, yeah, I don't know about conquered, but yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, <laughs> maybe I've been beaten up by both realms. Well, listen, I know you're not the boastful type. I'll boast for you. Sure, why not? But uh, we ran out of time last week. We ran out of time to talk about the 14th Amendment. And the more I read about the 14th Amendment, the more excited I got about the 14th Amendment. It's a pretty damn good amendment. But I didn't know that it included this crap about America honoring its debts. By the way, I should introduce Ken again. Uh, constitutional professor of law at Sam P. Chase School of Law at Northern Kentucky University in Cincinnati, Ohio. And head custodian, maintenance man, whatever else needs doing of Trash Flow Radio, Saturdays, 3 p.m. on WAIF-FM 88.3 in the Cincinnati area and online at WAIF-FM.org. WAIFradio.org, <laughs> I should say, right? Yeah, WAFradio.org. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Thanks for touting all that stuff. I got almost all of it from memory, except for that last one. But there you go. Yeah. And you did a killer show last Saturday, by the way. I just want to I just want to commend you on that oh, show. Oh, you, you, you were listening? Uh, I, I listen after the fact. I like to listen after the oh. fact, you know? Yeah, I thought it was actually challenging to figure out what to do about the fact that David Crosby had died. What, what, what do you think about David Crosby? You know, I have a lot of respect uh, for his achievements, but he, it, his music wasn't particularly my cup of tea unless Neil Young was standing about 20 <laughs> feet away. That's what you I know, basically or, thought, too. It's like, I found him to be a real puzzle because he was in, you know, not only Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, but of course the Birds, which right. are both, you know, groups that have plenty of songs that I like, but... In Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, he didn't write any song that I like. And yeah. in uh, The Birds, you know, he somehow wrote Eight Miles High. But other than that, I think every other bird song that's good, uh, you know, he didn't write. So I found it a little bit vexing to figure out what to do about his Well, death. what do you think about the narrative that it was after he lost his girlfriend suddenly in this horrific crash? Like his girlfriend went out to the bakery or wherever, the grocery store, and she never came back. There was a horrific collision. She was killed. And he was supposedly devastated, and this is why he's such a fuck up. I mean, what do you what do you think of that narrative? I don't know what what year did that happen? It happened pretty much at the height of his fame. It was like you know, nineteen seventies, maybe nineteen seventy, nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy one, somewhere in there. I don't know the yeah. exact year. I mean, I, I guess, but I view him as already being uh, a weak link in the birds, even in the sixties. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that to me that explains the whole story there. I'm talking about his uh, sliding into addiction, oh. his addiction oh, yeah. issues. Yeah, that know, could that. be. I don't know anything yeah. about what the causes of that were. I, I was really just trying more to evaluate his musical contributions. And, you know, I, 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 Eight Miles High, I think, is a is an absolute classic. You can't take that one away from him. But I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of any other songs he ever wrote that I would say that about. I am, too. To me, he was the first thing in Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. 
So, yeah. uh, you know, and I don't even know if I copped to the fact that he was in, was it him that was in Buffalo Springfield or no, was it? No, no he it was, was uh, Stephen Stills. Stephen Stills and, and, and Neil and Young. And Neil Young, right, yeah. Right, So yeah. the, these are all like a family of bands. And if you had to rank these people, I mean, Neil Young is top of the top of the oh, pile by, by a million miles. By, by a million miles and and then i don't even know i mean i i like graham nash i like the hollies i've interviewed graham nash he was kind to me so he's number two yeah. all right <laughs> yeah and then coming in at number three i would i would probably go with steven stills yeah i might even rank stills above nash but i think we're both heading in the same direction in terms of i'm a i'm four. a huge hollies fan i don't i don't know if you you know i mean and i do appreciate steven stills skills to pay the bills, as they say. But yeah. to me, I, I, I'm just giving Graham Nash the nod because he was kind to me. I met him personally. So he gets yeah. the nod. For that alone, he could have been a dick. You know, people yeah. have been dicks. I've interviewed a lot of people. There have been people who have been dicks. But he was a very kind gentleman. And, um, you know, wasn't it him that brought Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young together? Or at least Crosby, Stills, and Nash. The story was he was you know, going to Joni Mitchell's house or something like that. And, and they all ended up there and they became a band. Anyway, long story short, David Crosby is at the bottom. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, is you know, where I was going. Radio, I usually try to mark uh, deaths a little bit. And, you know, there were a uh, couple other deaths that Oh, we, shit, is uh, it too soon to be saying this? Oh, my God, I forgot he just died. All right. Yeah, that's so, why. That's why I had to focus on him on trash yeah. flow. And, you know, Van Connor from The Screaming Trees died last week. And uh, Yukaharo Takahashi from the Yellow Magic Orchestra died last week. But David Crosby was the death that the most people seem to have interest in. So it sort of put some pressure on me to try to and it, and, figure out. And, and it was probably the the one that took uh, nobody by surprise. So that I mean, it's always the ones that take you by surprise. It's a younger person. They have some kind of wasting disease. You know, and you're like, oh, my God. But David Crosby, the response, generally speaking, was I thought he he was dead already. He's not dead, that guy. And then, yeah. lo and behold, he was dead. So I'm yeah, sorry. So these old guys that, like, live the hardest and have the most unhealthy lifestyles are, are you know, the ones that never really do die. And, you know, I, I don't know if Keith Richards is ever going to die. But, uh, you know, it's like it's it's like the people that take better care of themselves that are usually in jeopardy. No, I think you're missing something. May I point out, I don't mean to argue you are a lawyer by trade, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's also those people are far wealthier and can afford much better medical care and have access to much medical, much better medical care, and it's medical science that's probably keeping them alive. And uh, if David Crosby wasn't a millionaire, I'll eat my flat hat, as the expression goes. <laughs> and you know, I'm fairly certain. Uh, uh, who was the other person we were talking about? It doesn't matter. Never. It mind. doesn't matter. Let's talk oh. about Lyndon Baines Johnson, one of okay. my favorite American presidents, but with a fatal flaw. He believed in the domino theory, and he wedded himself to the disaster that was Vietnam rather than turn around and walk out uh, when it was way beyond the point of no return. But other than that, the Great Society was pretty good, right, Ken? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a miracle out here in Kentucky where, where I am now. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it was transformative out there in some ways. And not, not that Eastern Kentucky is doing well these days, but, you know, to, to think of how impoverished it would be without the Great Society is almost kind of unthinkable. Now, the Great Society was considered the the greatest investment in the public good since uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the Depression and the New Deal. So it was another New Deal. But it, among other things, what did it do? I mean, didn't Roosevelt, hadn't he already electrified the uh, Appalachia or whatever? What the hell did Lyndon Baines Johnson do with the Great Society? Well, he he uh, Johnson spent a lot of money um, in Appalachia to, um, you know, get, create basically government jobs for people to work. And and they and they and the, the people who, you know, got got those jobs, you know, created a lot of, um, you know, useful uh, infrastructure out there ranging from electrification projects um, to projects like the um, Appalachian Arts Workshop, Apple Shop. Um, in Whitesburg, Kentucky, which is a still going facility, but it was started in the Great Society that um, teaches uh, Appalachian people how to do the kind of stuff that you do, Chris, how to do audio engineering, how to run a record company, how to run a radio station, how to make documentary films um, so that the Appalachian people can can document their own culture and tell their own stories. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that works very important. Oh, so there's a podcast out there called Today in Appalachia, for instance. <laughs> there's better than a there's better than a podcast. There's a radio station, uh, community radio station WMMT, 
from uh, which is the Mountain Music Station from Whitesburg, Kentucky, is part of the legacy of the uh, uh, of the Great Society. That's wild. And how long has that been there? How long have they been around? Yes, since uh, 68 or 69. Okay, so what else did Johnson do with the Great Society in an, in an effort to alleviate poverty? Wasn't it about alleviating the appalling amount of poverty in this country at the time? Yeah, well, that's connected to what I'm talking about because part of the idea of you know creating jobs for Appalachian people to to be able to be trained up to use media was that you know those are jobs you know so the the, the you know Apple Shop to this day employs about fifty or sixty people out there and that's you know those are much better jobs than you know other people would have who were working in the coal fields in that area or not even working in the coal fields as the coal fields uh, disappear so. Yeah, yeah, building roads, building power plants, but also, you know, figuring out um, future uh, occupations um, for, that people uh, could could um, work in those areas. Yeah, again, he had that fatal flaw. Vietnam. Oh well. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least at least he at least he had the class to uh, not run for re-election in '68 because he recognized that he'd screwed that up so badly. Well, yeah, he was a complicated fella, as they say, but uh, yeah. Yeah. The 14th Amendment, how did it get this part in there about statutory debt limits and a restriction on the government's ability to meet their own financial obligations? I, I, why is it that every year or two years we're back with the Republicans deciding to hold this idea of paying the debts that we already owe hostage and possibly wrecking the good faith and credit of the United States and the securities and treasuries that the entire world economy is based upon. Yeah, well, that actually doesn't go to the Johnson or the Great Society. That goes all the way back to Abraham Lincoln and the and the Civil War. Um, so the the Fourteenth Amendment is a post Civil War uh, amendment, and it um, the 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 issue there that Section Four of the Fourteenth. Let me read the language of Section Four of the Fourteenth Amendment, and then we can talk about it. But the the language that you're talking about, which has been in our Constitution since 1868, says. The validity of the public debt of the United States, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. Um, so that's the language, that the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. And the reason that that was uh, put into the 14th Amendment originally, and I think this does have some application to today's situation, um, is that when the United States was in the Civil War in the 1860s, both sides uh, took on significant war debt. So both the United States government, the Union, um, and also the Confederate government, the, the, the Confederacy, they sold a lot of war bonds to help finance the war. And uh, the Union won the war and preserved the Union, and the Confederacy was defeated. And at the end of the war, there was this situation where because the South had actually walked out when they tried to secede, um, they were not seated in the United States Congress. There, you know, through the war and in the immediate aftermath of the war, there were no senators and no representatives from any of the states that had joined the Confederacy. But it was contemplated that they'd be coming back because, you know, the Union had been preserved and, you know, these states were going to have to be reseated in the Congress. The sedition and, hadn't worked out. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. their sedition hadn't worked out. And so so one of the um, concerns that the, the victorious Union uh, 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 Congress had was they thought, well, when, the, when these Confederate bastards get to sit in the Congress again, um, there's going to be a lot of questions about um, what, what, what war bonds are going to be paid off. You know, because the Union sold bonds, the Confederacy sold bonds. Now there's no more Confederacy. Those states have been reincorporated into the Union. Um, and what they wanted to make sure of was that when the when the southern uh, when when the southern delegations got seated again in the House and the Senate, that they didn't appropriate money to pay any of the Confederate war bonds off. They wanted to make sure everybody who bought a Confederate war bond got shafted, um, and they also wanted to make sure that these um, you know these southern senators who got reseated in the in the Congress. Um, didn't um, fail to appropriate funds to pay to pay the, the the union war bonds. So the concept was everybody who bought a union war bond to help finance the union's victory in the war, they need to have a constitutional safeguard 
that their, their bonds will be paid and that, that there's nothing any, um, you know, any any Southern sympathizing Congress can do about that. Um, and meanwhile, you know, the second sentence, which I didn't read, but it says neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States. It sort of made it unconstitutional to pay off the Confederate bonds and unconstitutional not to pay off the, the union bonds. And, and so, so, so that's the origin of that language. It was to immunize against congressional gamesmanship from seditionists and insurrectionists um, that they might, they might be able to use the filibuster and things like that to fail to um, uh, appropriate enough funds to, to make good on, on union uh, war bonds. And so, so they, they, made it, they made it unconstitutional to question the validity of the war bonds, and, and the war bonds had to be paid. Now, so my question at this point would be, is that, I, I mean, I have always heard there were originalists on the Supreme Court, and then there are the other side, the other side whatever they call them, the non-originalists, the copycats, who... <laughs> Uh, believe that the law is a living, breathing thing and can be interpreted based on the times in which we live. And so if that law was, uh, if if President Biden said, I'm going to, you know, this law says that no one shall question the validity of United States, whatever that, what'd you say? Yeah. Debt? The, the validity of, of the, the ability debt of the United States right. shall not be questioned. There you go. So are they going to turn around and go, oh, that's 1868. That's so 1868. You can't say that. Come on. Or does he have them by the short and curlies? Because they're mostly originalists, aren't they? The GOP. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of um, uh, aspects or angles, I think, to answering that question. So, you know, the the, the first question is, are, are you are you talking about congressional Republicans or are you talking about the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, in terms of, you know, who who are the originalists that you're talking about? Well, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the problem is every time you and I have talked about the Supreme Court, it's, it's that those two things are now melded. The court has been politicized and now you know that they're making purely political decisions. And yeah. maybe I'm being naive. Maybe they always did. And they were able to couch them as good for everybody. But these purely political decisions are uh, in the minority of public opinion. And and we have talked, you and I, repeatedly about how this is a party that's trying to maintain its hold on power, despite the fact that it's less popular than the other party and keeps losing to it. So, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of things that could happen. I mean, the the Republicans choose your own adventure, Ken. Choose your own adventure. Pick any <laughs> yeah. of those avenues, and we'll discuss those. I'm sorry. Well, one, one thing is, I think President Biden, um, you know, right now, I think it's good that he's not talking about Section Four of the Fourteenth Amendment because, you know, if he even started talking about that, you know, it would kind of take it would actually take the heat off these Republicans, right? You know, the the Republicans are saying. That you know they're gonna they're gonna cause a cataclysmic economic uh, catastrophe uh, unless um, you know they can use this extortion to do things like like cut social security, cut Medicare, etc. And and I think you know it's it's good that Biden is just sort of you know taking it at face value and, and not saying oh they can't really do that you know but instead saying yeah well you know maybe maybe these Republicans are going to show who they really are they're gonna they're gonna say that they're gonna take down the government and and not pay the debts of the United States and be the first Congress in history to default on on bonds uh, and to not pay our soldiers you know unless unless um, they can cut Social Security and Medicare so I think everything that the Republicans are talking about doing here is kind of politically toxic for the Republicans. So I don't think Biden at this stage should bail them out by saying, oh, I wouldn't really go by that anyhow. I would just go by the 14th Amendment. You know, I, I think it's better that he's giving them enough rope to just let them hang themselves. And and it's already starting to cause um, dissension within the Republicans. And uh, even since we were going to talk about this last week, like in the week between, you know, a lot of Republicans are, are getting cold feet uh, you know, which I didn't even think they'd get so quickly about about going through with these plans to to not raise the debt ceiling. And it's looking now like they're going to try to uh, pass a bill in the next week or two that would do um, they wouldn't raise the debt ceiling, but they would suspend the application of the debt ceiling law. So they're now saying that they want to have until the end of September um, before the debt ceiling crisis comes. They even though it would come considerably sooner if they didn't um, suspend it. And so I think the Republicans are already flinching because I think the, the country is already understanding um, that, that what the Republicans are trying to do here 
is to use extortionate means of, of threatening an economic catastrophe um, unless they can do very unpopular things like 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 cut Medicare and Social Security. But to go back to what you said a moment ago, um, and and this is what always puzzles me. Don't don't they know that? Don't they know this stuff is deeply unpopular? Don't they look at the same polls as everybody else? And and what makes them think they can succeed with this? Well, I think what, what makes me. them think they can succeed is that they partly succeeded in this kind of gambit in 2011, um, although they never have again since then, and they've tried it a few times. But but what happened in 2011 um, when when when, it, when they had a debt ceiling uh, showdown like this was the the, the Republicans um, in Congress said to President Obama, <coughs> they said we're not going to raise the debt ceiling. We're going to cause this cataclysmic crash unless you agree to make some some cuts in spending. And in the end, um, you'll remember the word sequester. They negotiated this thing called the sequester back then, where um, although although the the Obama administration um, made sure that many of those cuts came to military spending and only some of the cuts came to um, domestic spending, um, that um, Obama caved and he did make the cuts that they wanted. And that was why they that's why they 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 raised the debt ceiling. And then we had this sequester for like five or six years after that, where there were um, significant cuts to both military spending and domestic spending. So I think they they thought like to them, the benefit is, you know, it might work. It worked once before. And also, I think when you talk about deeply unpopular things like cutting Medicare or cutting Social Security, the very reason they want to push that in a context like this is because if they can get the White House to negotiate and, and agree to do that as a means of avoiding a, a catastrophic economic collapse, um, well, then then it's implicated as a bipartisan thing. The Republicans don't take all the blame. And so I think that that's why they're doing it this way. And, you know, it's, it's compromise that both parties would have agreed to. And so I think because that was, you know, revealed to have been such a wrong move in 2011 when Obama did cave to it, um, he didn't cave to something like that again. And uh, I'm sure Biden will not cave to something like so that. So that but, was but, when, if my memory serves, the retirement age went to 67 at the uh, instead of 65. And, and there was a, a few other th- things that he gave them. And what they want to do no, now— No, no, that, that actually wasn't then. That was much longer ago than that. That, okay. that happened in legislation in the 80s. It just was very delayed, the implementation of it. Okay. Well, so— Again, a very popular program. Social Security, that was part of the great society. Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, well, actually, FDR, right? Brought in Social Security. Yeah, FDR. And, yeah. Um, so was it Medicare that uh, yeah, Johnson yeah, LBJ brought, brought in yeah. Medicare. That was part okay. of the great society program. Medicare and Medicaid, both. Both very popular. Uh, and, and across the political spectrum, uh, amongst Republicans that, I mean, at least some of them, you know, Paul Krugman had this article about uh, whether or not we could ever assuage rural rage. I like that he rhymed assuage with rage. That was good. But uh, the the gist of the article was that essentially, you know, we send a lot, a lot of money to these red states in the form of uh, Medicare and Social Security. New Jersey is um, at a net loss when it comes to the federal government and its taxes. So we send more money. Yeah, to, New Jersey. New Jersey's number one in the country for that. Yeah. Uh, New Jersey is a state where the amount they contribute to the federal government minus the amount they get back from the federal government is number one most. You know, New right. Jersey just subsidizing every place else. And yeah. Out, out here in Kentucky, where I am, it's it's close to the opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah Kentucky's not 50th, but it's like 46th, you know. So, so you're sucking at New Jersey's teat is what you're saying. I yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kentucky, for every right. dollar we send to Washington, we get back about a dollar sixty. That's 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 pretty good. That's our yeah. 60 yeah. cents. Right. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, then Trump, of course, went and fucked us a few years ago by eliminating the state and local tax deduction and capping the deductions. And suddenly we were like, oh, you know, we used to get this check back every year. and We would use it to go on vacation. You know, and it was nice. We were like, that's our vacation fund. And suddenly vacation fund was gone. It was it dried up. Right. So he. He targeted all of that at these "quote unquote" blue states, the liberal states. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. make, the make states us pay that were for already yeah. paying the most subsidies to the federal government had to then pay even more subsidies to the federal government. Yeah. Oh, it's just I don't know where this is all going to end up because it's all it's just. <sighs> yeah, but when you get to the Fourteenth Amendment section, yes, let's three, go to just the Fourteenth Amendment. Four, just before we stop talking about that, I, I think Biden probably is holding that in his back pocket. Like, I think if the um, 
if the Republicans actually fail to raise the debt ceiling, I think there's a very good chance that he'll ignore that and just keep paying the debts. And, and if he gets sued over it, he'll cite Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, and the court will have to iron that out. But I, I really think it's important that he never say ahead of time that he's going to do that, because I think he he just needs to keep the pressure on the Republicans that, you know, they if they want to take the risk of, of uh, crashing the uh, American economy and undermining the full faith and credit of the United States, you know, that's on them. You know, I, I think if he if he actually says too early you know, oh, it doesn't matter. They can do whatever they want. I'm not going to really, you know, I'm not really going to stop paying America's bills. You know, then that just ensures that they're going to keep, you know, doing this kind of nonsense. Yes. Well, I, I think he's a smart politician. I know we give him a lot of grief. People give him a lot of grief over his age. Yeah. And uh, but I see that as wisdom and experience. I I'm trying to take a different view of that. And maybe he has cognitive decline. We all do. We all have the cognitive decline. And but maybe he still has enough uh, 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 width and breadth of experience to think several moves ahead in this game of chess. And I think they're mostly playing checkers, personally. I think the GOP <laughs> is mostly playing checkers. And it's just uh, to see now, like, for instance, the weaponizi weaponization committee, the one that Jim Jordan is going to run and the stuff that they're going to try to put out there on Fox News every night. It's just amazing the river of shit what's coming. Is it not, Ken Cat? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be such a clown show that it'll be counterproductive even by their own lights. Might be entertaining. Might be yeah. entertaining. Who knows? But uh, before we run out of road, there was some news uh, out of Ohio about this Larry Householder, speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives, former speaker now up on some kind of charges. What what did he what did he do? What did he allegedly do? Yeah, I've been I've been going to this trial every day, and uh, um, it's it's quite interesting. So, uh, Householder was the speaker of the Ohio uh, House of, of Representatives, Republican speaker, and there was a, a one of the big power companies here in Ohio is called First Energy, and uh, First Energy was running a couple nuclear power plants in Ohio. And uh, in fact, one in Pennsylvania as well. And uh, these these nuclear power plants were just losing money hand over fist. Um, it's much more expensive to generate nuclear power than to generate other kinds using other means of generating power. And uh, and they couldn't price it, you know, other than at a loss. So they're just losing money hand over fist. And it, there's no way to sell a nuclear power plant because nobody would buy it. And it's actually hard even to decommission a, a nuclear power plant because there's a lot of um, environmental uh, um, remediation that needs to be done. And uh, and so they they sort of, First Energy sort of focused on a strategy of, you know, we need a bailout. We need a government bailout. That's that's the only possible thing. So they started um, messaging it, you know, and the messaging was sort of along the lines of uh, these jobs for all these Ohioans who work in the power plant. These are good blue collar jobs that pay well. And if these plants shut down, then the, these regions that have the power plants will lose a lot of jobs. And also they were messaging it actually kind of ironically because it's nuclear we're talking about. But they were they were messaging it on environmentalist grounds and saying, you know, nuclear power plants don't produce any carbon. There's no greenhouse gases. So this is actually green energy. And yeah, the waste like, just has a half life of uh, 500,000 yeah, years or right. whatever. Yeah. It might be. But the big thing they were also doing was uh, they started a political action committee and they funneled a lot of dark money into it. And um, they they gave um, you know millions of dollars of that to uh, Larry Householder, and uh, and they met with him a lot. Now um, the FBI I think suspected him of being corrupt at the time, and they were already um, wiretapping all his phone calls and reading all his emails, and they were doing this stuff for years. And so there's a, a long course of um, dealing between Larry Householder and emissaries from the First Energy Corporation. Um, which the jury is going to hear all of, um, which, you know, depending how you characterize it, you know, the prosecutors have said, well, the, the, this is the conversations where they give him the bribes and he agrees to give him the bailout, you know, where, whereas he would say, well, you know, I did support the bailout. And, you know, of course, that's why they supported me, because I supported, you know, I was in favor of the bailout. But that wasn't because of the bribes, you know, lot, lots of, you know, the majorities in the House and the Senate. Oh, I know. Also, I know the Latin for this. There was no quid pro no quo. No quid pro quo. Right. That's yes. what he would say. Right. You know, he would say, for instance, you know, nobody's saying that anyone in the Ohio Senate was bribed, but the Ohio Senate also voted for the bailout. And, you know, nobody's saying the governor was bribed, but the governor signed it into law. You know, so so he was saying that the, the reasons to support the bailout, 
you know, ranging from, you know, keeping jobs in rural areas in um, Ohio to having green energy. You know, he was arguing he supported it for those good reasons. And then, of course, they wanted to support politicians who who supported uh, th- their bailout. So so that's what the jury's going to have to decide. And and this there's so much there's so much, uh, you know, wiretap recordings and emails and things like this. Um, you know, I, the trial's expected to last five or six weeks, and it's it's uh, it's happening now. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Can you get that stuff through like a Freedom of Information Act request? I mean, is someone going to do that in the media? Is that could that well, become public yeah, it's, record? It's, what too, the early, it's is, too early or? to get it through a Freedom of Information Act request because it's being introduced as evidence in a criminal trial that's happening oh, right now. Well, I mean, but, like down the yeah, road, down the yeah, road, down the road, yeah, a month from now for yeah. sure. And in fact, a month from now, you won't even need to do a Freedom of Information Act request because the the transcript from the trials will just be public records that you can access from the court's website. God, I, I hope we, they got yeah. him hookers and blow too, man. Yeah, I really so we'll so. see. It's we'll it's see. actually a lot easier to get um, government records that have been introduced in a trial. Um, than it would be if you know if you if the if it hadn't if the, if it hadn't been because the the trial records are going to just be easy easy to access public records. So Larry Householder, you imagine you have to go through life with that name, Larry Householder. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what is that translated from the German? What 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 would it that what? Yeah, I, it's weird. I've never Larry I think it Householder. Might be like homeowner, like Larry homeowner. Larry homeowner. That yeah. would be uh, the way to run next time to beat him. He's Larry yeah. Householder. I'm Larry Homeowner. Yeah. Hey, before we do run out of time, can I tell you more about my stolen car? You know, I was just going to get to that because last right. week you were telling us the thrilling story of how your beloved 2010 green Toyota Camry was lifted off the streets of Chicago by a, a very uh, corrupt, famously corrupt police officer from what was it? The Dalton police? Yeah, Dalton. D-O-L-T-O-N. Dalton, Illinois. Dalton, Illinois. Yeah. And the policeman's name is uh, is is his name is Major Major Coleman Major Coleman Major is actually his first name so it's like Detective Major Coleman uh, but Major's not a title it's his name yeah, yeah and if anybody wants to Google him you'll immediately find like even the big national public radio station in Chicago WBEZ you know has done big reports on on how how corrupt this guy is and in all of Chicago land he's the cop who has shot the most people um, so he's he's dangerous Yeesh. as well as corrupt wow. Yeah. He's shot a large number of people. He shot one guy who was uh, shoplifting some baby formula from a grocery store. You know, ran out of the grocery store with a stolen baby formula, and uh, and Major Major Coleman um, just shot him. And uh, there's there's other cases where you know he he thought he knew you know he was looking for some suspects, and you know he yells like "Stop, police! Stop or I'll shoot!" at, at some totally random person who couldn't even imagine. Even though the person probably heard those words, you know, couldn't imagine that it was being yelled at him. So, so this person didn't stop, um, and you know, and, and had no reason to be stopped by the police. And uh, yeah, Major Major uh, Coleman put a, a couple bullets in that person's back. And there was one guy who was like, um, you know, actually running from a crime, who was a criminal, but was unarmed. And uh, Major Coleman shot him uh, fifteen times, an unarmed person, fifteen shots. Uh, so this he's a he's a he's a he's a real piece of work. And um, as I told your listeners uh, last uh, week, you know, I, I got um, entangled with him because you know, unbeknownst to me. You know, in, in the middle of the night, um, uh, about two weeks ago today, it was Friday night, Saturday morning, two weeks ago, uh, he stole my car. And uh, he did not. He um, stole you know, your 2010 Toyota Camry right off the streets of Chicago. Right off the streets of Chicago. And it's not like he, you know, presented me with a warrant or anything like that or even told me that he had the car. It just disappeared. But when we, uh, when we tried to make a theft complaint with the uh, Chicago police, you know, they they figured out after about a day um, that it had actually been taken by this policeman. And he he did log it in the law enforcement databases as a seizure. So he didn't he stole it, but he tried to legitimize it by logging it as a seizure. And he said that he was um, seizing it because uh, he had probable cause to believe that my, my car had been used in a major crime. Now, I think when we last talked, I think I knew that much, but I had been trying all week to get a hold of him and he wouldn't return my calls and nobody else in his police force would talk to me. And, uh, um, and, and I, I couldn't get any information about anything. And the Chicago police would not intervene because they said this was a case that belonged to this suburban force. And I couldn't get any prosecutors to talk to me. Um, well, since then a few things happened. Uh, I, uh, I, I went into uh, court on Monday 
Um, I didn't have a case. You know, nobody's ever contacted me or given me a summons or anything. But I, I thought that it was possible that he was going to try to put my car into what's called civil asset forfeiture. And this is a procedure where police are allowed to um, go to court and say, here's here's a, a car that was actually used to commit a serious crime. And we think that um, we should just be allowed to own the car and never give it back to the to the to the criminal who used it. Um, and that is a, a legal proceeding. And, you know, I was trying to find out if he put it in that and was keeping it secret from me because um, I wanted to go tell the judge, you know, my, my car was definitely never used in a crime. And so I, I kept trying to talk to the clerk of the court and find out if there was a scheduled proceeding on my car. And she couldn't find one. And she said, you know, just come to court and I'll let you talk to the judge and we can try to find out what's going on with your car, even though you don't have a case. So um, so I did do that on Monday. And the, the judge didn't really know what was going on, but she, she there was a prosecutor there in the courtroom because there were other civil asset forfeiture cases. And, and the judge told the prosecutor to talk to me and to figure out what was going on and to make sure that I had notice if there was going to be any civil asset forfeiture proceeding. And uh, the, the prosecutor, um, you know, was nice and did a good job trying to figure out what was going on. And she more or less concluded that... Um, Nobody from the Dalton police had ever told the prosecutor's office anything about any of this. So the prosecutor's office hadn't authorized a search warrant or a seizure warrant. Nobody was asking to put the car into civil asset forfeiture. But you the know, other really... part of the story is the license plate that went missing sometime in October. Yeah. And he claimed the reason for the seizure wasn't it, or taking it off the streets of Chicago as it was used in the commission of a crime. Yeah, yeah that's and, what he was claiming. Right. Because I did have a, a, a lost license plate and I could believe that somebody else put that on a different car and used it in a crime. Yes, but, but I the, said to you, I think he just took the plate and then just, took yeah, the car. Or he maybe, maybe took it himself. Well, the thing is, if he really believed that, if he really believed that my car was the car used in a crime and, and he should have had to believe that if he seized my car um, – then that means that he should have, you know, got a, to begin with a search or seizure warrant from from a court, and it seems like he never did that. Second, he probably should have tried to put my car into civil asset forfeiture, but he never tried to do that. And you know, probably I would have been a suspect if my car was used in a um, in, in a crime. So if he really thought my car was used in a crime and he was investigating the crime. You know, you'd think he'd want to talk he, he, to me. This is like the only case. Right. Ever. All he had to do was ask the motor vehicle department about the tag number. Yeah, he knew it and, was my tag. He knew right. exactly who it was. He, he, yeah. it, what but, if, but it's like it's like the detectives hiding from the suspect instead of the suspect hiding from the detective. You know, like I should have been the suspect if he thinks that my car was used in the crime. But he he wanted no contact with me at all. I and, see. My mind goes to such a sinister place. I think he's involved with some kind of car parts ring, and they were like, "We need a to we need parts for 2010 Toyota Camrys." Go find one. And then he gets the one and they pay him. I mean, who who knows what this guy yeah, is up to? Who knows? He's, he's well, shot anyhow, people I, I to think, death. I think, yeah. So, so, so after my go around with the prosecutor, the prosecutor says, look, this seems so strange. I'm going to, you know, have people from the prosecutor's office look into this because they just didn't know what was going on. And they should know. Maybe you know, internal affairs is. should look into yeah, it. Yeah. You know, well, that's one of the problems here. This is not Chicago. This is Dalton, Illinois. It's probably like a five person police force. With no internal affairs division. Do you want to no. know what your car is worth, according to Kelly Blue Book? By the way, uh, I'm going to guess about seven or eight grand. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not too far off. Fair market range: six thousand eight hundred and seven dollars to eight thousand two hundred and forty dollars. So, hey, hey I, I, you know, I, I, you were, I should play the I should play the prices right, Krista. Prices right. You, you came in under the price, so yes, you would have advanced to the next yes. round, and Ted Barker would have told you to spay or neuter your pet or bob barker i should say uh so 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 the prosecutor called the um you know somebody in the dalton police you know not not detective coleman yes and 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 whoever the prosecutor was able to talk to whoever their contact in the dalton police is um told told the prosecutor who relayed this to me um that although although detective coleman had seized this car on the theory that it was um used in a crime that the dalton police actually already knew that it wasn't used in a crime and that they even knew that the license plate had been stolen off it and, and put on a different car that was used in a crime. And in fact, they knew that the car that was used in the crime was an Infiniti, not a 2010 Toyota Camry. So they, they, they knew not only that it wasn't my car, they knew it was an Infiniti. So they, they knew all that. Um, but yet still nobody was talking to me. And so um, so I, I kept trying to call the, the Dalton police again and again 
you know, this I found all this out on Monday. I was calling Tuesday, Wednesday. And, you know, eventually, um, although nobody did talk to me for a little while, I, I left a message on the voicemail of the chief of police, you know, and I explained all this. And uh, um, finally, Detective Coleman called me. He actually called me. And uh, um, and so my, when I made this first contact with Detective Coleman, uh, he said um, that he that he knew he knew that my car wasn't used in the crime. He He's, actually admitted it. He actually you know, he, he said he seized it. it because he thought it was used in the crime. He didn't admit that he never knew, but he he said it was a you know an honest mistake. Your your plate was on the car that was used in the crime. I thought it was your car. That's why I seized oh, it. Oh Jesus, what a load and, of shit! Yeah, Sounds and like and now now I've cleared you. So I said, great. Then you know, mm. can I can I get the car back? And uh, and he says, no. Yeah. And yeah. No. And I'm like, well, why? You know, why not? Mm. Um. And and he gives me this song and dance about how well, when when the investigation. I already sold it for the parts. That's why. Yeah. Exactly. Oops. I think he stole it from the parts. He probably already stripped parts out of it. He probably smashed it up pretty good. You know, maybe his kids driving it around. I mean, yeah, who yeah. knows? But he yeah. he he says to me, um, you know, well, I I um. The investigation is not closed yet, and everything that we collect as evidence during an investigation, we hang on to until the end of the but investigation. But you created the investigation. Exactly. I mean, so you and, can close the investigation. Yeah. What? Well, he's saying they didn't, you know, they didn't um, indict. I guess they didn't indict whoever they think did the robbery yet. And and he's basically saying to me, until he closes the books on the on his investigation and, you know, indicts somebody else – He's going to hang on to all the evidence, and that includes my car. And then he's saying to me, like, you know, you shouldn't worry because, after all, you, you know, I already told worry. you, I know, I know that that your car wasn't used in the crime, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you back the car when the investigation is. You closed. shouldn't worry. I can't shoot you over the phone. Is what he was really hoping to yeah. say. Yeah, you shouldn't I mean, who worry. Knows how long it's going to take him to close this investigation? I, I think he's. Saying I think in a sitcom yeah. at this point, you would you would close your own investigation. You would become a detective, and you would solve the case. Is what you would do, and. Then you would go to them and say, I found the bank robber. Here you go. Give me my Toyota Camry now. Chris, you, know, you should do that. You should do that. I'll yeah. give you a trip to Chicago. I feel like you could do that. I I would love to do that. For you, yeah, I would yeah. do that. Ken Katkin is, uh, has been our guest. And before we run out of Complete Road, trillion-dollar coin. I think my friend Jeff suggested Alfred E. Newman. And then <laughs> in, in Latin, what me worry on the trillion-dollar coin. But... Have you thought about what you'd like to see on a trillion dollar coin if if we print one to save oh. us? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, I think Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. That's pretty good. I'm going to open my mail from the Baltimore court system before I forget too. Because oh please, please. You've been following this case breathlessly since I first pestered you about it, and uh, they sent me a letter today. And it, I, I think what it is, it's a, oh, it's a receipt. Oh my God, they sent me a receipt for ten dollars. Oh, Look at that. Was that. Nice of them. It's, nice it's, it's actual a paper receipt for $10 for the transcript, but th they haven't told me where I go to get my electronic download of the transcript. It's literally just a receipt. So hopefully Baltimore, uh, Kent County, they're going to send me that in an email, uh, Ken Kack, and that's what I hope happens. Next, yeah, I mean, if you they know? took your money and they don't tell you anything else, I'd probably look on their website and see yeah. if they have anything about how to get these um, audio recordings. So let's review. We talked about David Crosby, bottom of the pile. We talked about Lyndon Bain Johnson and uh, his uh, domino theory being wedded to that and the Great Society and the 14th Amendment, 1869, basically to keep the Confederates, uh, the rebels, from yeah. refusing to honor union debts and for uh, trying to dismiss their own debts or pay their own debts. And we basically said, oh, no, not so fast. That was the 14th Amendment. And then brings us up to the Toyota Camry and my news from the courts in uh, Maryland. So I, I think that's a full show. That's yeah, I, I love that sound of you opening the envelope on air. That was so excellent. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And uh, that was an actual 1960 vintage executive letter opener in heavy chrome plate. Probably could have ordered this from the back pages of your detective magazine. Something tells me because it's really kind of like a dagger. Anyway, Ken, we're out of road. Always good to talk to you. And again... Are you on Saturday at 3 p.m.? Are you doing a live yeah, show? Oh, yeah, okay. I'm, on, I'm on the air tomorrow, absolutely. Uh, and I've even I got a couple more obscure deaths, and I got some good birthdays, too. All right, well, I, it's always a good time. So go and listen to that at WAIFradio.org or if you're in Cincinnati, 88.3. Thanks again, Ken. We do appreciate it. And until next time, which will probably be next week. I don't know. Uh, oh, boy.
Where does the time go? All I can say is thanks for listening, friends. This show becomes a uh, podcast right after this program, and on Tuesday it replays right here on the sound, the hound of the the sound of the hound, myc.com. Uh,